This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning about something that I've titled, Living Like a Hand in a Glove. Living Like a Hand in a Glove. Um, you know, the Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And it becomes so important for us to be able to understand how God works so that we can partner with him. And sometimes what ends up happening is we don't really understand what he's doing. And so we don't know what our role and what our responsibility is to partner with him. And so what I'm wanting to do is, in a very practical way, look at how your relationship with him can be something that touches and changes your life. How do we actually take the fullness of what he's provided for us and begin to walk into it experientially? What I find very often is that as Christians, we we sometimes, we, we like to be... We like to live in the ruts. Nobody likes to stand in the middle of the road. So we either like to go into the rut on this side or we go into the rut on that side. But there is something to be said about finding yourself at a place where you're actually able to live in the middle of the ruts, which puts you in a really good place. What I mean by that is, for example, grace is a good example. We hear so much about grace and grace is a wonderful thing and we need grace in our life. We've got to have grace in our life. The challenge with it is when we just look at grace and we don't assume our responsibilities, we fall into a ditch on one side. God does everything and I do nothing. And then we have the other ditch on the other side, which is a works program, which is I do everything and grace does nothing. And there's a place to be able to find the middle of the road and find out what it is so how I can partner with God and so the realization of everything that he has for me becomes available. I want to do a little bit of reading um, and I'm going to start off in Romans chapter 8 and I'm going to start off at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Glory be. But it's got a proviso. Who do not walk according to the, but according to the, okay. So he's already setting the playing field for us right now. And he's starting to say, understand where I'm going with this is there there are certain um, variables that are going to come into play in this. And one of the most important variables that you need to understand is that there are two dimensions that are at play here. One is the spirit dimension and one is the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the, he goes back to flesh and spirit. Those who walk. In other words, there's a choice to be made. For those who live according to the flesh, set there. I know. Lorne and I always joke about this because Lorne is like, are you back on that mind-brain thing again? (laughs) The only reason I'm back on the mind-brain thing is because it's in the Bible. Okay, understand this. So what he's saying is this. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. There are two dimensions. When we speak about the fleshly dimension, it has everything to do with the natural realm. The reason that we speak about the brain is because the brain is the governing body, uh, the, the governing entity of your body. 
Nothing happens in your body without your brain giving direction. The mind becomes important because the mind is spiritual. It's not natural. So when he talks about your mind, what he's saying is, you are a spirit being. When I created you, I created you as a spirit being. But you're not just nebulous spirit floating around. You have a part of you that has the ability to be able to define who you are, make decisions, think about things. That capacity is called your mind. It's your identity, that which defines you. So what he's saying is, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the flesh. Those people who live according to the flesh set their spirit, their identity to be defined by the brain and everything external. Everything happening in your world goes in here, I'll talk about this in a minute, and goes down and gives definition to who I am. He's saying, don't live according to the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, you have the prerogative of setting your spirit and allowing your spirit to be defined by the things of the spirit. What are the things of the spirit? The things of God. For to be carnally minded, if you let your brain rule, you're going to die. To be spiritually minded, to live from the life of God, is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, my brain, is enmity against God, because it's not subject to the law of God, nor can indeed it be. It's the flesh. It does what it wants to do. Why? I'm going to explain to you in a minute. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I'll explain to you why it's, it's not possible to please God if you're living in the flesh. But you, who's a you? When he says you, who is he speaking to? No. Who, what part of you is he talking to? What part of your spirit? Your identity, who you are. He's saying, I'm talking to the part of you that's inside of body. That part of you which is spirit, which defines who you are. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. There's a promise there. Through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you, say it's me. Okay, he's telling you what to do here. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He didn't say he's going to do it for you. Okay. So how does all of this stuff work together? And what does it really look like in our lives in a practical sense? Romans 6 verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. We spoke a little bit about sin. Sin is when I decide that I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to define what my life looks like. And so invariably I go outside of God's definition to give 
detail and definition to who I am. That's what Adam did. Adam went outside of God's definition of who he was, and he said, I will be like God because I'm going to go and design who I am. So he moved into that space. What it's saying is anytime we assume responsibility for defining who we are and what our life looks like, we're going to end up in trouble because the consequences of that are not good. Nothing good comes from death. What he's saying is that there is no life in it. Well, how can he say that? The reason he can say that is because God is life. That is his nature. So what he's saying is when you go outside of me to define who you are, you go outside of those things which define who I am. Life, love, peace, goodness. I go outside of those things to define who I am. So he says there's no part of me in your definition. Why is it important? Because anytime I move to a place of self-definition, what ends up happening is I don't move to, I don't live from a space where in my mind I'm connected and in relationship. I'm not relating to God, allowing him to define who I am. I default to my brain and I go to my world. And I look in my world and allow everything happening in my environment to give definition to who I am. So it begins to change things. So self-definition is a really dangerous thing because invariably what ends up happening is it establishes us in something called a lie. The problem with that from God's economy is this. God is light. And when light comes into our life, it illuminates truth. Living from truth is living from righteousness. That's what truth is. When you get born again, he makes you righteous. You live in God's truth. It's important from God's perspective because God's provision and God's power and God's enabling and God's fulfillment and everything that God does comes to his truth. So when you're established in righteousness, you're established in truth and you can claim the promises of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom and what the kingdom's about, and allow the kingdom to define who you are. And when you live from that place, all these things will be added unto you. That's why righteousness is so important in God's economy. Righteousness is established in truth. We couldn't do it in our works. That's why Jesus came to do it for us. Self-definition is really it puts us at a disadvantage because we end up in a situation where we don't realize the fullness of what God has provided for us. That's what I want you to get from that scripture. If you have a look at um, Romans 6 verse 13, it says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. When it's talking about your members, it's talking about your body. Okay, do not present your body as instruments. The Greek word for instruments there is tool. It's a tool. Do not present your body as a tool of unrighteousness, but present your body to God as being alive from the dead and your members as a tool of righteousness. Essentially what it's saying is this. God wants to use your body for righteous deeds. God wants to not only just meet you and sit and say, well, great, I met you in a spiritual dimension and you and I are able to relate to one another in that dimension, but he wants to have access to the world. And so what he's looking for us to do is he's looking for us to be at a place where he's able to manifest himself and he's able to, we're able to walk into the fullness of the promises that he's made available to us.
It's not just something which is spiritual in nature, but it's designed to involve who I am and what I'm all about. Are you with me? Okay. Your body is a tool. Your body is a tool. So when God created man, he created man of the dust of the earth, and man's body was lying there with its brain. The tool was lying there. And God said, okay, we're going to take man, so I'm going to breathe into him. And when he breathed into man, breath, which is spirit, breath went into body, and body got life. Spirit, inside of body, the two of them together is what the Bible refers to as a living soul. Okay? Here's the analogy. God created man, and his body was lying there. It's like when you have a glove. The glove is lying there. The glove is dead. There's no life in the glove. But you take your hand, and you put your hand in the glove, and all of a sudden... The glove and the hand become a complete unit. And now I can do some stuff with the glove. But the life is not in the glove. The life is in the hand. The life is in the hand. The body is there as your tool. The body is to be used. Your hand is inside. It's you as a spirit. That's who you are. God is, God's given you a tool called your body to be used by you. That's why God doesn't talk to the glove. God talks to the hand. The glove is dead. The glove is whose responsibility to train? You. Remember he said you. There's a hint. <laughs> you. The reason God doesn't speak to the glove is because the glove is the tool. God speaks to the hand. God speaks to us spiritually. That's why your mind becomes so important because that's where God meets with you, in your spirit. It becomes, if the work, if we, we had some, we needed to do some stuff with some well stuff and, and the guys arrived. The thing about it is when the workman arrived, I didn't have a discussion with his hammer. I didn't sit and say, pull out your wrench. I just want to explain to your wrench what the problem is. You speak to the workman because the workman is going to use his tools to get done what needs to be done. God is interested in you. You are your mind. You are not your, your brain plays a part of who you are, but it's your tool. God's sitting saying, you know what? If I can connect with you spiritually and if I can get you defined in the life of who I've called you to be, to be conformed to the image of Christ, you have the responsibility and I'll give you the enabling to be able to use your tool effectively. Here's the wonderful news. It's an empowering for you to know that your body is a tool. You have been empowered to rule over it. You don't have to do what your tool wants to do. God gives you the ability to do some stuff. For too long, too many people want to do whatever their body feels like doing. That what God's saying to you is this. It's a glove. When you come to the realization that you're the hand and not the glove, things will begin to change. Because I have the ability to change my body. Have influence over that space. Okay, so here we go. Let's understand how this works and why. So 
your glove is lying on the floor and your glove, your tool, has got something called a brain in it. Most people have one. <laughs> Some people I'm a little bit dubious about, but most people have one. But your brain is a physiological organ. It's something which functions. Your brain is important because your brain is connected to your body. Your brain is connected to your senses. When God created man, he said, you know what? I'm going to create a domain and I'm going to put man in this domain. And in order for him to effectively live in this domain, I'm going to give him a tool called a body. Because he needs to be able to engage with his world. I want him to be able to see it and speak and communicate and feel and touch and smell and experience the world. I want him to be at a place where he has influence. All of that stuff happens through your body. All of that stuff happens through your brain. All of that stuff happens through your senses. He's given you a tool because he placed you in a domain. So this is how it works. In my domain... I'm engaged with stuff all the time. And as I'm engaged with stuff, I'm getting feedback, I'm getting information, I'm getting content. So my brain does a few things. Number one, it's connected to my senses. And so it's getting all of this information in all of the time. It takes that information and my brain passes it on to my mind. Now there's some things that happen in your mind which don't happen in your brain. Your mind has the capacity to think and to feel and to decide. Your brain saying, this is happening, this is going on, you're standing in front here, people are looking at you, don't embarrass yourself. It's giving you all of this stuff. All of this stuff is coming in. It's being fed into your mind. Your mind is processing it all the time. And your mind is going to react and respond to that. And it's going to go back and it's going to give your brain an instruction. And it's going to say, brain, this is what I want you to do. And your brain actions it. And you, what results because of that are things called behaviors. I was told to do this. And so it says, body, do it. Open your mouth, say that. Use your body language, give an attitude. <laughs> it got stuff. The mind told it what to do. So my brain gathers information and passes it on. It gains instructions and it begins to action those as behaviors. What ends up happening is the more I continue to repeat behaviors, repeated behaviors start to form patterns in my life. When I form patterns in my life, God has given me a wonderful capacity and ability called a habit. When you repeatedly do things, it becomes a habit. Habit is a gift of God. Because God said, I'm going to put you in that domain, but I can't have you thinking about every last thing you have to do. So I'm going to build into your body, your tool, the capacity to quickly learn so it can take charge in situations and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. It becomes second nature to you. It's a good thing. Because when you were young and you couldn't walk, you were crawling along. And then you were like, everybody else isn't doing this. Why am I doing this? So what happened? I started recognizing the fact that I needed to change. So I started pulling myself up. I started doing some stuff. I started trying to stretch my legs. I started trying to move forward in certain ways. And I was wobbly and blah, blah, blah. And all of this stuff is happening. 
What's happening? I'm learning and I'm trying to do some stuff. I'm in, engaged in behaviors. And as a result of engaging in behaviors, my brain is learning all the time. What's your balance? Hold up, get it, put it together. Put, put one, set, one, one step in front of the other. There you, go, you got it. Hold. It's learning, it's learning, it's learning. When you first start walking, it's a bit of a challenge. And when you take your first step, everybody goes, yay! What happened? It's a celebration because you just did something. And it taxed you because it actually created a whole bunch of a demand on your brain to be able to do that, to think about how it works and get everything in the body together. But you know what? You don't even think about it now, do you? You jump out of the seat and go wherever you want to go. You don't even think about walking. Why? Habit kicked in. God gave us the capacity to learn and to gain those things. And when we learn, it puts us in such a favorable position because what ends up happening is I'm in a place where I can actually just function effectively in life and I can use my brain capacity for other things. So I've got all of this stuff that's happening. But one of the other things that is so important about our brain is this. As a central processing unit, your brain also has the capacity to store. So everything that came in, it collected. And everything that it passed on, it collected. And any instruction that came back, it collected. And any behaviors that resulted, it collected. And any behavioral patterns, it collected. And any habits, it collected. And any history is stored in that space. Your history is stored in your brain. Everything that happened, everything you've learned, everything you've been through, it's all stored there. The mind is a wonderful thing. The mind has a, a, the capacities to be able to give definition to who I am. So all of the stuff that's coming into that realm, and I'm, I'm excluding the spiritual stuff right now, because spiritually it, it works the same way. But what happens is my mind is taking in all of this stuff and it's appraising it and it's thinking about it and it's generating feelings and it's making decisions about what I need to do. And it's actioning those things. I am in action. I'm in action. The thing about it is this. The disposition of your mind becomes so important because it forms something called perspectives. Your perspective is important. People can go into situations and you'll have 13 people having exactly the same experience and you'll have 13 different perspectives. And it was like, I didn't see it that way. I don't know how you got that. What happened? Perspective kicked in. And when I perceive something from, the, from a perspective, I interpret the situation according to my perspective. So what ends up happening is my interpretation of life becomes an expression of my perspective and interpretation. All the time, I have perspective and interpretation of what's going on. Have you ever had a discussion with somebody? And they leave there and they say, I was so offended that you did this. And you think, I never said that. Well, you did this and you meant that. And you think, I didn't, I didn't mean that at all. What happened? Perspective kicked in. Perspective kicked in. And it interpreted what you said in a, in a way that was different to where you were. Yeah. 
our perspective kicks in. So now we have an interesting situation. Because, you see, there came a time in a believer's life where I recognized the need for a savior. And I got myself born again. And when I got myself born again, Psalm 119, verse 130, says, The entrance of your words give light, and it gives understanding. The entrance of your word gives light and understanding. So when I start to form a relationship with God, my mind moves to the place where I become brand new. Everything in my mind, my spirit becomes brand new. What ended up happening was God's life came in. And the nature that used to define me doesn't define me anymore. Now God's nature defines me. I'm a brand new creation in Christ. As a brand new creation in Christ, old things have passed away and everything has become brand new. So all of a sudden, God's light comes into that space. And as I spend time with God in relationship with God, what ends up happening is my perspectives begin to change. Because light has come in and I see things in a different way. I see things completely differently because all of a sudden the spirit begins to open the eyes of my understanding. And I'm having, I I move to a place where I have the mind of Christ. I see it the way he sees it. So my perspective and my interpretation start to change. But I've got this weird problem. Because all of a sudden, I'm brand new, I know God, I have this perspective, I have this interpretation, and yet I go out and I find that my body's doing some different stuff. My body doesn't want to do it. My body's living from the way that it's been trained. My body's living from habit. I was at a place where I got born again, and I suddenly I end up in this place where I have an enormous amount of friction that ends up in my life. Because what ends up happening is I've got God on the inside of me. God took the hand out of the glove and he put a brand new hand into the glove. The problem with it was the old hand that was in the glove used the glove so much that all the little weathering and all the wearing, all the places that are in the glove that are designed to make it more comfortable were to fit the old hand that was in there. Now I've got a new hand in there and it doesn't feel the same because it wasn't designed for that hand. What ends up happening is I end up with a schism. It's what Paul speaks about. Paul says, the things that I know that I should be doing and I know inside of myself that I should be living this way. The problem with it is my body's doing some weird stuff. My body's got some appetites. My body's got some responses. My body's got some behaviors. My body's got some things that are happening on the outside of me and they're in a disconnect to who I am. I want to do stuff and it's not happening. I don't want to do stuff and I have this huge appetite and I want to go and I go ahead and do it. What's happening? Spirit and body are in conflict with one another. Spirit and body are in conflict with one another. It's what happens when you get into an argument with something and all of a sudden the flesh kicks in and you say some stuff and it's like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. Why did you say it? Because your body is at a place where it has been habituated when you had the old nature, the sin nature. And so what ended up happening is your capacity for sin came into that space and gave definition to what it looks like. And so now my behaviors and my attitudes and my history and my behavioral patterns all look like the old nature. But suddenly I've become born again and I'm brand new. 
And so I have new nature and old nature in conflict with one another. It's what they talk about in Ephesians, where they talk about taking off the old man and putting on the new man. It's getting rid of the old and putting on the new. Philippians 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here's the challenge. You see, Satan wants to keep you locked into your past and into your history, and he's going to use your flesh to do that. Jesus has come to set you free so that you can walk into your future as a free person. He doesn't, Satan, the, long, the more time we've allowed our old nature to have influence in who we were, it's created behavioral patterns, attitudes, dispositions that are resident in that space. And the longer we live from our behaviors, the more we live from our past. The more we live from our past, the more we allow Satan to have access to our life. What Jesus is sitting saying is, you're, 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 the, I came to give you freedom. Freedom doesn't lie in your past. Freedom lies in your future. I came to set you free. Stop living from your behaviors because I've got something new for you. You have the capacity and the ability to be able to partner with me and move into some realms and experience some stuff, some newness, so that you can actually take your body and experience the freedom that I came to give you. So, forgetting. Forgetting. What's interesting about the word forgetting is this. He's talking, he uses the word forgetting, but he puts it in the present tense. What he means by that is this. My attitude to life and the way that I approach life is in a continual state of forgetting. What he's saying is, I recognize the fact that who I am spiritually and what's happening in my body are two different things. And so my disposition to life is not perfection, but directional. You see, if you're looking for perfection, you're going to be upset and you're going to be disappointed as a Christian. Because the problem with it is you have something called your brain. You have something called your flesh. And it's been trained outside of God's nature. And all of that stuff has infiltrated that space. And so the journey that we're on is not to sit and say, I'll wake up one day and I'll find myself perfect. The journey that we're on is to recognize the fact that who I am doesn't lie in the behaviors of the past. Who I am lies in the invitation to the future. God is always inviting us into his will. As long as we want to live from our behaviors, you're going to live from where you were. It's all that you've inherited. Everything that I used to inherit, that's why I behave the way I do. That's why I feel the way I do. That's why I continue doing the things the way I do. The invitation that he extends to us is the God of possibilities is standing in front saying, I'm inviting you to do something new. I'm inviting you into change. I'm inviting you to take what I've given you and for you to realize that experientially and to change your flesh. Our your future is more important than your past with God. It's so much more important than your past because your future presents opportunities for you directionally to step into what he has available to you.
for me to step into fullness of life, which is what he provides for us. The challenge that we have in the day and age in which we live is that we esteem and we value behaviors. We have society and we have school systems and we have some psychologists and we have some sociologists and we have some aspects of government and we have some counselors and what they want to do is they want you to recognize your behaviors and they want you to build a lifestyle around your behaviors. The problem with building a lifestyle around your behaviors is your behaviors came from who I used to be. It came from an identity that I defined outside of God. And the wages of me defining things is not good. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's life that just keeps on giving and giving and giving and giving. It's life that just keeps on manifesting itself repeatedly in whatever aspect I decide to embrace it and allow to inform my life. The challenge with it is anytime we start to build a a present lifestyle around our past behaviors, what ends up happening is we live in the past. We can never escape it. God is not interested in your behaviors. He's interested in your identity. What he's saying is, you don't have to live like that anymore. I came to set you free. If you have a look at um, Romans chapter 8, I just want to read verses 11 to 13 again, because maybe this will give a little bit more context to it. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies. He's going to quicken your mortal bodies. There's a promise there. I'll speak about that in a minute. By the spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What God is inviting us into is this. I'm inviting you into a partnership. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you something called grace. I'm going to give you every provision that you need so that Christ has provided for you. So that when you begin to discover who you are, when you walk into the fullness of the identity of Christ, when you begin to explore that and you see that there is a disconnect between what he's invited me into and the way that I'm living, what he's saying is, I want to do some stuff in your life. I want for you to recognize the fact that your behaviors come from the past and you don't have to wallow in it. Stop wallowing and feeling sorry for yourself because of the behaviors of the past. If they're terrible, there's even less reason to celebrate them. You have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to walk into newness. You have the opportunity to change some behaviors and do some things. The thing about it is you may feel insecure and you may feel as though you don't have the ability to do that. But that came from who you used to be. It's not who you are. And as long as you want to let your behaviors dictate that, we'll never walk into opportunities that God wants to have for me. Because I feel inhibited. I live from criticism. Why do we always want to criticize? Because I feel so insecure. But if I can pull somebody else down, I feel so much better about myself. Bad behaviors. There are areas of life that God wants us to explore and to move into. Men in particular 
are, you know, we, we're raised in a society that says, you know, don't, don't embrace anything that, that is emotional. Well, you've got to be really careful with that. Nobody wants to be an emotional, blubbering wreck. But at the same time, there is a place to understand that the thing is, as long as you feel uncomfortable embracing that, as long as it's a threat to you, you position yourself at a place where you don't get to feel life. You don't get to feel relationships. Because it's all functional. What I'm trying to say to you is this. We raised in certain patterns and in certain ways. When we were outside of God, we've allowed so much stuff to define our brain and our flesh and how we live and how we behave. And we often don't interrogate it because it becomes so second nature to us that it becomes our normal. But our normal is not always healthy. And what God is saying is, as you journey through life, don't look for perfection. Keep your eyes on direction. Because as you're moving through life, you're going to come face to face. And all of a sudden, something's going to pop up. And he's going to sit and say, you see that? That didn't come from me. You've been carrying that baggage since you were six. And you've been living from that. Do you want it? Or do you want to change your behaviors? Because it's a tool. You can do it because I've given you the power to do it. So if you have a look at um, the word quicken there is to give life to that which is dead. To give life to that which is dead. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, give life to that which is dead, your mortal body. What Jesus is saying is this. The opportunities that I'm presenting to you is this. I did everything and a complete work. And so the reason that we are called to live by faith is because you may not see it in your behaviors and you may not see it in your words and you may not see it in your actions and you may not see it in your normal. But if he invites you into something, it's alive on the inside of you. The reason that the just shall live by faith is because he's put something on the inside of me that resonates and says, this is who you can be. You don't have to be defined by your behaviors. You don't have to be defined by what's happening in your tool. Take who you are and walk it out by faith. And as you walk it out by faith, what ends up happening is I move to a place where I begin to change and reformat my brain. It's a learner. It's learning. It can learn new ways. With the power of God, what it's supposed to do is as we move into that place, it begins to reshape who we are and how we live. You can create new habits. You don't have to live by the, your old habits. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. The useless behavior patterns that you inherited. You don't have to live from the useless behavior patterns that you inherited from your forefathers. But by the precious blood of the Lamb, what Jesus is saying is this. I'm inviting you to change your world. I'm inviting you to change how you live. The funny thing about it is, as you begin to change and you become oriented with your spirit, your mind, taking preeminence in relationship with God, we really change the perspective that we have on our body 
And so what ends up happening is we don't become callous to people's... How do I say this? We're always sensitive to people. But the fact of the matter is people are broken. And so the thing is, if you're going to move into any ministry place, I can tell you now your flesh is going to get hurt. The problem with it is, if my behavior patterns are not fixed, the challenge with it is I'm always upset. Well, do you know what they said about me? Of course they said it about you. Why do you think they said it about you? Because they're broken. It doesn't have to affect you because it's my tool. It's not me. It'll change your paradigm. And you begin to realize anytime I'm affected and hurt because of what they said and because of what they did, it's just your tool. It's not you. So what if they dinged it? I don't like it if my car gets a scratch, but it's not me. I can deal with it and be like, it's a scratch. It's my car. I can get it fixed. Our paradigm begins to change and to shift. What I want to tell you is this. The lifestyle that we live is determined by the way you live and your behaviors, your attitudes. It's no use saying I'm born again, but you, you, you behave like Lucifer and steroids. There cannot be an incongruence. Anytime there's an incongruence between the way I behave and who I am, it's problematic. The reason that so many Christians have challenges in life is because they're born again and they're well-intentioned. The problem with it is it hasn't migrated to a place where they've taken ownership and responsibility for their tool. Understand this. Your tool is like a puppy. Okay? Your body, your brain is a puppy. Your puppy is there so that you can train it up in the way that it should go. If you abdicate your responsibility or you don't do it, you're going to end up with a puppy chewing everything all over the place. Chewing your furniture, chewing your rug, peeing on everything, (laughs) pooping every half a chance it could get. And you wonder why your house looks like it does. And I don't really understand why my life looks like it does, but it's because, you know what, I've never trained my puppy. My, my, it gets to do whatever it wants to do. You have a responsibility. God has given you a tool. It's your responsibility to take that. He's given you the empowering. He's given you the enabling. He's given you what you need. He's given you the opportunity to step into who he is and what he's all about. And that comes with power. The invitation that he always extends to you is, you know what? I'm going to give you light, which will illuminate truth. And as it illuminates truth, the invitation is extended to you. Do you want to walk into it? Not just because I want to say, yes, that's good and glory be and go home after church. But because I want, to break, I, I want to embrace that. Anytime I see an incongruence between my behaviors and my attitudes and who I'm supposed to be and what I'm called to be, I have a responsibility to take the tool, take the puppy, train it up. That's not how the puppy behaves. The puppy behaves like this. The puppy does that. If you want to go outside, you go to the door. You don't chew on these things. I'm training up my flesh. I'm training up my flesh. Sometimes we've never assumed the responsibility as born-again believers to recognize that God has given us something fantastic to influence the world. But I'm so busy pooping and peeing and chewing everything up out there. The challenge with it is people struggle to see stuff. I know it's funny, but I, I, I know it's lighthearted, but I'm being serious. 
Please understand, that's the challenge. The invitation and the calling is always to step into maturity. Step into maturity. You're going to have thoughts. You're going to have ideas. You're going to have longings. Well, I just really love him. Really? Is that from your spirit? Or is there something in your flesh that's sitting saying, you know what, it just feeds me. I do things because I don't, I've never taken responsibility for training it. So I move whatever the puppy wants to do. I follow the puppy. The wonderful news is this. Righteousness is a good place to live. Jesus has made every provision for you to do that. He wants you to know that you're empowered because you are not your brain. You are not your flesh. You are the hand in the glove. You take the glove and you use the glove for righteousness sake. It's to be conformed to what he invites me into. He's given you the empowering to be able to do that. He invites you to live by faith. What he's saying is, it doesn't matter what your history told you. It doesn't matter what feels normal to you. It doesn't matter what normal looks like to you. It doesn't matter what normal sounds like to you. I'm not calling you to be normal. I'm calling you to live by faith. I'm calling you to understand what the invitation is and to begin to walk it out and say to my puppy, I'm training you so that we live from a different place. You're empowered to do that. Don't let your flesh take authority over you. Don't let your, let your flesh sit on the throne of your life. In the weeks that's ahead, what I want to encourage you to do is this. Become discerning. Become discerning as a spirit being where things come from. Is it my flesh speaking? Or is it the voice of the Spirit? And because of that, decide how you want to respond. Remember, you're the hand in the glove. You are the hand in the glove. Father, I just want to thank you that you've given us a domain that we get to live in and we get to enjoy. Thank you for that. I want to thank you for the reality that populates our domain. I want to thank you for the people that populate our domain, that none of those things are by accident. I want to thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to experience fullness of life. I pray as you give us an awareness and a revelation of the fact that we are a hand in the glove. You position us in a place where we are empowered to have influence over the tool that you've given us. I thank you, Father, that because of that, we are the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for the invitation. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the opportunity to step into and realize the fullness of what it is to be conformed to your image. Make us effective in our world, Lord.
Let us use our tool for righteousness sake. And never as a gauge of who we are. In Jesus' name. It's a hard thing to pray for this. Because I always like to try and stay as practical as possible. And there's some things you can pray for, but I can't pray for this. What I can pray is that the Holy Spirit be sensitive to you. The reason I can't pray for you is because it's not an incident. I'm not praying for you to get healed of something. This is a lifestyle equation. This is a disposition that we walk into where we begin to realize as I journey through life, I'm going to come face to face with things. There's some stuff that's coming down your path. It's wonderful. I know you're not going to see it. when you, I mean, enjoy it when you first hit it, but it's great. Because the thing is, once you're liberated and freed from it, it'll change your life. And so my encouragement to you is this. Stay in that place of sensitivity and stay in that place where you allow the Holy Spirit to invite you into newness. Seize the invitation. Seize the invitation. It's not going to be a one-step affair. Remember, it's not perfection. It's destination. I'm moving forward into invitation. I'm stepping into righteousness. I'm accepting of the will. Have a wonderful week. Feel empowered. Do you feel empowered? (laughs) Okay.